Welcome to What's the Law Say, a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia. I am Clint Adams, Legal Director at Legal Aid of West Virginia, and in this episode, we'll be discussing driver's license issues with Marie Bechtel. Now, we love to start every podcast with a disclaimer. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Legal Aid of West Virginia is a nonprofit law firm providing legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. This podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information. All this information is current at the time this podcast is published. Our guest attorneys are licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia, and this information is only applicable in the state of West Virginia and is provided for informational purposes only. While our host and guest attorneys are presenting legal information. This does not take the place of an attorney-client relationship. You should speak with an attorney about your specific situation. As we mentioned, I'm Clint Adams, and I'm joined by Marie Bechtel. Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Clint. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Let's talk a little bit about you first. Um, I hope you like talking about yourself. What, uh, what do you do at Legal Aid? I am the supervising attorney of the Beckley Office of Legal Aid, which, as you know, is one of the 12 regional offices of Legal Aid of West Virginia. My office serves Raleigh, Fayette, and Nicholas counties, although my present funding is through the state of West Virginia's Jobs and Hope Program, and so I provide legal services to persons who are active in that program all around the state of West Virginia, and so I get to travel quite a bit these days. So what is the Jobs and Hope Program? The Jobs and Hope Program is what was originally called Jim's Dream. It was started under uh, Jim Justice as the current governor of West Virginia, and it was started to primarily work with people who were in recovery from a substance use disorder, although it has really expanded to serve uh, West Virginians. They have to be uh, at least 18 years old and a resident of the state of West Virginia and have some barrier to employment. So while they do certainly continue to serve people who have suffered from a substance use disorder, that has expanded to include um, all persons who have a barrier to employment in West Virginia, and the real focus of their program is getting adult West Virginians an education or job training in a, a level that will really increase their employability, their job earning potential over their lifetime. They really help to get people in career employment roles, and so our piece of that puzzle and the role that we serve is to help people overcome civil legal issues they may have that present a barrier to employment. I spend a lot of time helping clients get their driver's licenses restored, obtaining uh, expungements of criminal records, uh, addressing maybe child support or child custody issues, just whatever civil legal issues they have that, that are preventing them from returning to the workforce. So if I am over the age of 18 and I have some barrier to getting a job, how would I get in touch with this program? You can self-apply and you can do that online through, if you just Google Jobs and Hope West Virginia, it will take you to their website and they do have a very easy form to complete online to apply. There are a great many uh, community providers around the state. If you do already work with some form of a community provider that can help you apply, but it's very easy to self-apply. They are uh, there are transition agents around the state who are the people who actually work with the participants in the Jobs and Hope program, and there's no cost to Jobs and Hope. And they're offer just a, a really wide range of services, uh, well beyond uh, the legal aid piece. We are simply a piece of the puzzle of what they offer. 
And if they had a civil legal issue, that's going to go to you. You're the only attorney in the state that would handle issues that would be sent to you from anywhere. That is correct. And one of the nice things about the Jobs and Hope program is it is not an income-based service. It is free to all West Virginians. That lack of uh, asset or income eligibility, while normally it's something that is a, a big concern to legal aid when people apply. Um, it's a screening factor for our services. That is not true when someone comes to us through the Jobs and Hope program. So I can take uh, clients at any income level. And you mentioned some of the problems that people have are driver's licenses. We're going to today talk a lot about driver's license. We're going to dig a little deeper. We're not just going to glaze over this issue. So um, so let's start with having a driver's license. So most of us get our driver's license when we're teenagers. I know I was down there on my birthday and I'm like, let me take this test. Let me get my driver's license. If you haven't done that, let's say you're 25 and you don't have a driver's license. How do you go about getting one to start with? The best thing to do is to either hop online to the West Virginia DMV's website or to go to a local regional DMV office and get a copy of the booklet that you have to study to pass the written portion of your driving test. Um, you can actually take that test online these days. I think it only costs about $13. It doesn't cost a lot of money and you can do it from the privacy of your own home. That's that's definitely different than when I took that test circa 1990-ish. Um, <laughs> but in any event, um, so you go online then you or you go to the DMV office, you take the test, um, which is the written test. Once you get an acceptable score, then what happens from there? Then you have to take the skills test and which has an employee from the DMV in the vehicle with you and you drive around and, and pass the skills test and then you get your driver's license. Now, one of the things that people have seen um, when they go to the DMV is there's a lot of forms that are needed, a lot of identification. So as you're preparing to go to the DMV, what advice would you give someone to make sure that they've got adequate proof in order to get their driver's license? Certainly. Well, the first thing I recommend when anyone goes to the DMV is one of the good outcomes of the COVID pandemic is you can now make appointments online at any DMV office. That is a significant time saver. I know I personally took advantage of that and am happy to say I got my federal real ID in under 30 minutes at the DMV, even though there was a few hour line uh, wait when I arrived there, but because I had an appointment, I was able to skip all of that. So I strongly recommend that to everyone. Um, but the DMV really does have a very nicely done website that lists out all of the forms of identification that are needed. They do need multiple forms of identification, but what specifically is needed depends on what you are seeking. So if you want just a simple ID card, that is going to be different than if you're seeking a driver's license or a CDL license or a federal ID you definitely will need certified copies of your birth certificate. If you've ever been married or divorced, you're going to need certified copies of your marriage certificate and your divorce decree. If you've ever otherwise legally changed your name, you'll need a copy of that name change order. Generally speaking, they're going to need proof of your residency, and that can be accomplished with a deed or with a lease agreement or with certain utility bills that are, I believe, within 30 or 60 days old. But again, 
it is a, a really well done website. So I encourage people to get online and, and flesh out exactly what they need. You know, as we talk about that, these these identification requirements have certainly heightened uh, following September 11th and, and as part of the Homeland Security. Because, I, I mean, I know people that, that had had driver's license for a long time and had to go back in. And even though they had a picture, their, their proof of ID was their driver's license. They had to go back and, and provide other proofs of identification to get there. So you want to make sure that you have all that information. And my recommendation is it says two forms of ID. I take like four, right? <laughs> I take as many. I take my W-2, my social security card, and my taxes if I can, if I can round all that stuff up quicker, just because it's it's much easier, clearly, the more of that you have. One of the obstacles that some of uh, some of the clients that uh, the legal aid sees is maybe they're homeless at a time. How can you get a how can you get an ID if you're homeless? And that certainly is very difficult. That is a client base that we help out with getting their IDs because it's very circular. You need your birth certificate to get a copy of your social security card and you need that to get a copy of your license and you can't achieve one without a baseline start of the other. And again, I really encourage people to utilize the social service organizations that are available to them in their community. We work with homeless shelters to help that. We work with uh, domestic violence shelters. There are times when we, in working with a client, can write a letter to the DMV or to whatever organization needs that and say, we are working with this person. We have, you know, a notarized statement from another saying that this person is who they say they are. And and so we do believe that to be them. If you're staying temporarily with someone, then you can get them to sign that there's that some that you're staying with them and then but you'll still need their proof of identification you're going to need their light bill or their um you know mortgage or their lease or um whatever it is that that they have to prove that they that they're a resident of West Virginia as well correct that is true and and charities in West Virginia what i was going to say just homeless shelters and and things of that nature that they are used to having clients who are having these issues and need that extra help with with getting a form of identification. Now, one of the things I want to circle back to that you talked about earlier, you said you went and got a, a real federal ID. How does that differ from a driver's license? That's a good question. It has a star on it, so that makes it a little bit different. Um, <laughs> they keep pushing the date back as to when a federal ID is going to be necessary to board an airplane and other large forms of public transportation. So I don't know when that fixed date is at this point, but that's why I got a federal ID is it is a more security enhanced form of identification, but it's, it just is a regular West Virginia driver's license, also a organ donor. So that's marked on there. Now it's also marked as being a, a fully compliant federal ID. So not a passport, not a, um, anything that would allow me to pass the border into Canada or Mexico, um, but just a stepped up form of, of identification. But as you mentioned, that's something that they indicate either that or a passport will eventually be required under under the law. And as you know, it, they, and the reason that they're pushing that back is some states haven't fin finalized that. West Virginia is actually ahead of the curve when it comes to finalizing the process in order to get those real IDs. So we've got a driver's license now. Now we're driving around. We, uh, we get pulled over and we get a speeding ticket and then we forget to pay it or we don't have enough money to pay it. Let's, let's start there. W what's going to happen when you get a speeding ticket, then you don't pay it? If you don't pay your speeding ticket, you will lose your license. 
is the long and short of it. Yes, it is incredibly important to both appear in court when you are told to do so, because failure to appear is its own problem, and to pay that ticket or you will lose your privilege to drive. Once that happens, then now the DMV is going to suspend your license. Tell me what that process looks like. Do they send you a letter? Do they knock on your door and say, by the way, Clint, we're going to take your license? Do they come in and get your physical license and remove it? What's that process look like? They send you a letter and don't do anything else. No one comes to collect your physical license. You will still have it in your possession and you will be driving around on it. But if you get pulled over again, they will know immediately on running your name that your license is suspended. You will then get an extra ticket for driving on a suspended license. And there are some tickets that are expungible that you can then later remove off of your record driving on a suspended license or on a revoked license is not ever an expungible offense in West Virginia. And so it not only will provide you with a new criminal history, it will also affect your insurance. As you noted, you know, the private insurance company is going to raise your insurance rate, but you've got this now, your license is suspended. Does that, if you're driving on a suspended license, does it stay suspended longer? That is a good question, and I don't offhand know the answer to it. I know that there are penalties that attach to it. I know that people are incarcerated at times for driving on a suspended license and oftentimes incarcerated for surprisingly long periods of time because they are unable to post bond. And so people will spend a year in jail for having driven on a suspended license. So let's say I get the speeding ticket and I go to court, but I don't have any money, right? Because they always, they're always going to want money, it turns out, when you show up down there with your speeding ticket in your hand. I don't have any money. What, what can happen then? West Virginia passed a new law a few years ago that allows people to set up payment plans to assist in paying off all court fines, fees, and restitution. It's always very important to understand that any issue impacting your driver's license is actually two separate issues impacting your driver's license. There is the ticket side that we all think of, that's the criminal side where it's actually a misdemeanor that you've been speeding or you didn't, you ran a stoplight or a, a stop sign or whatever the case may be. And so you go to magistrate court or municipal court and you take care of that ticket. But the other piece of the puzzle is the administrative impact through the DMV. And so depending on what you did and what your your ticket or your charge is for, that's going to have two different impacts. So it's possible that it's not going to impact your license with the DMV because you don't have enough points that have accrued that are going to impact your license, but it might. And so it's always worth it to follow up with the DMV to make sure that it has not impacted your license because the the penalties for driving on a suspended or a revoked license are really so severe and so significant. So you definitely want to respond to the ticket itself, which is going to tell you to go to municipal court or magistrate court or possibly circuit court, depending on what happened. But you want to follow that to the letter of the ticket to make sure that is paid off and a payment plan is set up if possible but you also want to make sure you look to address the DMV side, uh, the administrative side of that, that ticket. 
So let's talk a little bit more about something you, you hit on, which is points, right? You might not, you said you might not have enough points on your license, so it might not be a big deal if you get a speeding ticket and you're capable of paying it, or you get set up on a payment plan and you make the payments on your payment plan. That speeding ticket is going to give you some points against your license. How, how does that process work? Let's, let's walk through that. For every type of ticket you get as a driver that impacts your license that so many points attached to those different kinds of tickets. The more severe the the issue, the more points that attach to it. And so even if maybe today you get pulled over for speeding and you're only going a few miles over the speed limit, but you get a ticket for it, that might in itself might not be such a big deal. But if you keep doing that every day, those points are going to add up to the point that you lose your license for those accumulated points. And again, that's not the result of these individual tickets. That's the result of the administrative loss of your license through the DMV because of the accrual. Now, you had mentioned it's important to that it might not have if this inability to pay might not have an impact through the DMV. It most certainly will. If you don't pay that ticket, even a very small ticket that will result in the suspension or revocation of your license. And that absolutely is a DMV issue. As you mentioned, the severity of the offense can affect the points. You might get one or two points if it's just a small speeding uh, violation. If you're driving 900 miles an hour, then you're probably going to, you know, end up with a with a more substantial penalty as it relates to that and particularly as to the points on your license. Um, and then those points uh, accumulate. And at some point, I think it's 12 points, but at some point um, your license becomes revoked for those points. Uh, is that correct? That's my understanding. Yes. And then there are courses that you can take, as I also understand it, that uh, that are available. The DMV has some information about that on their website, that if you're starting to get close to that top out percentage, that you can take some courses and maybe get some points back that, that would otherwise be counted against you. At the point where I am working with clients, they have lost their licenses. So that's not a point of contact that I have with them. Um, I do have a little bit of knowledge of when people have lost their license for DUIs and they have to take those classes to in an effort to regain their license, but just to for the points reduction. I would just encourage somebody to look online at the DMV's website. Like I said, it really is a nicely done, well fleshed out website. Now Marie, when you've you've got your license revoked, as you mentioned, there's the fine for the speeding ticket and then your license gets revoked because you didn't pay that. Is there a different fine that let's start with you're going to pay the fine to the speeding ticket who's that fine going to go to let's start there it'll be paid to the court that is that through which the ticket was issued and that's going to usually depend on who pulled you over if it was a city cop then you're most likely going to pay that ticket in the municipal court of that city if it's a sheriff's deputy or a state trooper it's going to be done through magistrate court and then so you're gonna pay that fine now and then are there other fines that attach that you have to pay to the DMV to to regain your license once it's been suspended? Once a license has been suspended, absolutely yes. There are um, reinstatement fees that have to be paid and then it just depends on why you lost your license. They have different departments within the DMV. If it was a lack of insurance, and that will bring up a separate set of issues. If there was a DUI, that will bring up a separate set of issues. If you were driving without insurance and you caused a car accident that resulted in damage to another person, that's going to bring up a separate set of issues. So it really just, my lawyer's favorite answer, it really just depends. 
if your license is suspended, you're going to have to pay the DMV something to get it back. You, internally, that might be different, but you're going to have to pay them something. So you should brace yourself for that. Is that is that a fair statement? You are. But in the, the 2022 legislative session, our legislature passed a law and it's called House Bill 4712. Not that that matters, but it impacted a lot of a lot of different laws. And so people still will refer to it as House Bill 4712. But all driver's license suspensions issued by the DMV prior to July 1st of 2016, whether that's from a failure to appear or a failure to pay costs or fines or fees, are just null and void. Those suspensions are wiped clean. So that doesn't mean that your license is automatically reinstated, but it means if you go to the DMV and say, I'd like to get my license back, that you don't have to pay for many people, many thousands of dollars that have accrued. You don't have to pay that. You will probably have to retest because at this point you haven't had a license in quite some time. You'll have to pay a minor reinstatement fee. I think it's about $25 or $50, which sounds for a lot, for a lot of people can be a lot of money. But trust me when I tell you that according to the DMV, that is not a lot of money. They have really significant fines and fees. And then your license can be reinstated. So that was a sea change for a lot of our clients. Those court costs, fines, fees, reinstatement penalties really had snowballed for a lot of people over the years to the point that it was just simply unattainable uh, for them to to get a valid license back. And so this allows them to do so. So if my if my license has been if I'm listening to this, my license has been suspended for a long time. I what would you say that would be the next step to do then to to get my license back? You're saying I'm not I'm probably not going to face a, a million dollars in fees, which is great news. What do I have to do to get my license back? I would recommend that someone go to the DMV and again, if at all possible, make that appointment online before you go to avoid a long wait and bring your multiple forms of ID. If you have your old license, bring that with you. It's helpful to have that old license number at least and go in and explain what has happened and advise that it's your understanding that you had some court costs, fines, fees, just impingement on your license prior to July 1 of 2016, and you would like to see what needs to be done to regain your license. And they will and, they will help you with that process. And can you get a copy of your of all of these fines that may be out there, all the things? Because some people may have gotten a ticket in one county. Maybe they got a ticket in Monroe County and they got a ticket in Harrison County too. Um, how can they find out? Because a lot of times people are in different positions when they get those tickets is where they are when they're trying to get reinstated. Certainly, you can both email the DMV and ask for that, or you can ask for a certified copy of your driver record by mail through the DMV. They, if you have one or two um, issues on your license, they're they're very pleasant and very willing to talk on by phone with you about that. They have a central call center. If you have more than probably three uh, tickets on there, they're going to say, we're not doing this by phone. It's just too involved, and you'll need to submit that request either by email or by mail. Now, one of the things you talked about earlier was DUI. I think we all recognize that uh, driving under the influence of alcohol or some other substance can cost you your driver's license. So let's say, you know, you're pulled over for DUI, you know, you left your bar, you get cited, um, you know, maybe the officer didn't do the breathalyzer right, or maybe the there was some sort of other mistake, and, and you win at magistrate court. Does that mean the whole matter goes away? Not necessarily, because there is both this 
criminal side of the, the DUI, but there's also an administrative side of the DUI. And they exist separate and apart from one another. So just because you were to prevail within the criminal piece of it, maybe the cop didn't show up, maybe the cop showed up and dismissed it, that does not mean that it has likewise been dismissed on the administrative side through the DMV. And the DMV has its own special DUI department, uh, and that's who you want to contact to work through those issues to look at whether it's necessary for you to take classes, which are common, whether you're going to uh, have a breathalyzer in your vehicle, but people commonly call it a blow and go in your vehicle for any particular period of time, just whatever hoops you have to jump through, through the DMV to get those issues resolved. So if you have a DUI and you have an attorney that's working with you in that in the criminal setting, you might want to talk with them about what some other aspects as far as it relates to that administrative and it would be important to recognize there's a difference between the two. Absolutely, yes. So Marie, earlier we talked about the payment plans that are available whenever you maybe you get a speeding ticket, you get um, a, some sort of a, a, a minor infraction that's going to cost you a lot of points on your license, but the fines on that, you know, they can be 150, 160, 170 bucks or something. And the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're staring down, should I buy food or pay my $170 fine? And I think the answer for most of us would be to buy food and, and hopefully to get on a payment plan then to keep our driver's license. How do you, how do you go through that process? What that look like? Certainly. And we talked a, a bit ago about how all of these court costs, fines, fees uh, prior to July 1 of 2016 are scrubbed clean, which is wonderful. But what happens starting July 2nd of 2016? And the court did recognize, excuse me, not the court, the legislature did recognize um, the year before last that this is a really significant hurdle that keeps a lot of people from being able to work. In West Virginia, we do not have a, a well-developed system of public transportation. Most people live in very rural areas, and so the ability to get to work is directly tied to, for most people to whether or not they have a driver's license and access to a, a, a reliable vehicle. And so what the legislature created was the ability to set up payment plans in all of the different courts where someone has these outstanding unpaid court costs, fines, and fees. Now, it's very important to recognize that a separate payment plan has to be set up, not necessarily for each individual ticket or citation, but in each court. So, for example, I'm in Raleigh County. If I were to have tickets in Raleigh County Magistrate Court, tickets in Beckley Municipal Court, tickets in Sophia Municipal Court. Those would be three separate payment plans that I would have to set up. It would not be one, even though they're all in the same county. And so the West Virginia Supreme Court or any of your local friendly legal aid offices have court forms that are available to you to help you set up a payment plan to do that. So they were those Forms were created by the Supreme Court. They are to be used specifically for this purpose. It requires your personal information, your name, address, date of birth, social security number, telephone number, uh, the number of people who are residing in your household, all forms of income that you have coming into the household and proof of that. So, for example, you would need your last two or three pay stubs. You would need a copy of your food stamp statement from the DHHR. You would need a copy of your child support order, just whatever documentation exists to prove that that is your income. If you have 
no income, then you need a letter from whomever is supporting you. And then you have to also list out all of your monthly debt obligations, such as your rent or mortgage, your utility payments, car payments, insurance payments, your cell phone bill, your food, all of those things get listed out. It is a notarized document, so it does have to be signed in front of the court clerk or a notary. You will need your photo ID for that purpose. But then it allows you to set up this payment plan. It costs $25 to set it up. If someone can't afford the $25 all at once to set up the payment plan, then it can be broken down into five monthly installments of $5 each. And then that amount that is owed is broken out into, it can be up to 36 months max for fines or fees through municipal or magistrate court. If it's a circuit court fine or fee, it can go on for up to 60 months. So we're looking at either three years or up to five years. The amount that is due every month is based on your income. So it's going to be 10%, I'm sorry, 2% of your, in, of your annual income divided by 12, or it's going to be $10 per month, whichever is um, greater. So it really just depends. It is important to understand two things. One, if you set up this payment plan and then you're unable to make those monthly obligations, then you do not lose your license again. It becomes a debt that is collectible. And so it would go to a collection agency to try to collect that debt from you. It is also important to understand that if a person failed to appear for um, a court date when they were cited and then uh, a court date was set and they failed to appear, then the clerks of the courts are under no obligation to allow you to set up a payment plan on those failure to appear issues. Once a person sets up payment plan, a payment plan in a particular court, that court turns around and gives them a verification of satisfaction. Again, they get that verification of satisfaction when they set up the payment plan, not when all of the payments have been made and the debt has been paid off. And then they once they get those verifications of satisfaction from every court where they have these unpaid court costs, fines, fees, whatever the case may be, they take all of those to the DMV and they can get their license back at that point once they satisfy all of those requirements from the DMV instead of having to wait until after they have paid off in full all of those tickets, citations, court costs, fines, fees, restitution, whatever the case may be. Um, well, Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this issue. You and I are going to visit again in our next podcast episode. We're going to talk a little bit about expungements uh, as it relates to criminal records. So I'm really excited to do that as well. And this special two-part guest, you're our first guest that we've invited back immediately for a two-part episode. How, how does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel super special. And I only hope that I have lived up to all the hype. <laughs> Very well, Marie. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. More information about driver's license issues is available at transportation.wv.gov. More information about this topic and others are available on our website at legalaidwv.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of What's the Law Say? A presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia.